Maxine had, had grown up in a home where both of her parents were regular drug users. And it started kind of as hippie dabbling, and it quickly got to where it was this crutch where they were numbing pain by taking drugs. And Maxine's parents, they got to a place where they just couldn't even function as, as people and as adults. They were, uh, her, her dad ultimately uh, was in jail for most of her childhood. Um, her mother eventually abandoned her. And so Maxine had kind of bounced around the foster care system. She would regularly run away. And, and like her parents, she uh, eventually got into taking drugs. And like all addicts, kind of her gateway drug was marijuana. And on a major side note, uh, my prayer is that Texas never <laughs> legalizes marijuana. It's terrible for children. And it's always a gateway to other things. But uh, it became this gateway where then she graduated onto crack and then eventually fentanyl. And that's where she was. She was addicted to fentanyl. And when uh, Maxine uh, aged out of the system, she just wasn't equipped to be an adult is probably the best way to say it. She didn't have any degrees. She didn't have a family to help support her. She didn't have any skills. She didn't uh, have any guidance. And, and she was haunted by her past. And so she just slid deeper and deeper into that drug culture. And eventually, by the time I was watching the interview, Maxine was living in Skid Row in Los Angeles, which is this 50-block uh, section east of downtown that is just marked by homelessness, is marked by drug use, is marked by prostitution. Skid Row is a scary, dangerous place. And it was a scary and dangerous place for Maxine. You see, Maxine was a very vulnerable woman. She's uh, five foot four. She weighs just over 100 pounds. And, and she was just this very vulnerable target for abuse. Any type of abuse you can imagine, Maxine had gone through it. She was a vulnerable woman living in a very dangerous place. And her drug use, it was fueled by all her failings in the past. She was haunted by her past. And she's filled with shame over her mistakes. In short, Maxine is a tormented woman. How does Jesus relate to the tormented? How, how does he feel towards those who are broken? How, how does Jesus respond uh, to the hurting in our world? How does he respond to a lady like Maxine and all her struggles? Similar to Maxine, Mary Magdalene was a tormented woman. If there's any way to describe her before Christ, it was torment. She, she was a broken woman. She was, uh, she was a tormented woman. And there's just, I think, amazing parallels to this woman, Maxine, and then Mary Magdalene in the Bible. You see how Jesus related to Mary Magdalene. It gives us this picture of not only how he relates to women in general, and I think there's some great implications for how Jesus just relates to all women and how he related to Mary Magdalene. But even more specifically, the story of Mary Magdalene gives us this vision of how Jesus relates to the broken, how he relates to those who are tormented. What I want you to see today is that Jesus loved Mary, and Mary loved Jesus as a result. And this, this woman who was tormented, this woman that was at such a, a low and kind of shunned, alienated place, Jesus brought her up with him. He brought her into his presence. There's a theme of presence to the story of Mary Magdalene. Well, if you're a, one of those who fills out the blanks, your first blanks are Jesus brought uh, Mary Magdalene into his presence. Look with me as I read uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Soon, after her, soon afterward, he went out through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who, pro who provided for them 
out of their means. Well, after Mary, Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene is the most mentioned woman in the New Testament. Uh, She's mentioned a lot. However, there's really little known about Mary Magdalene. She's kind of a mysterious figure. But we we do learn some things around her. And obviously, uh, she's a woman, and her name is Mary Magdalene, which Mary was the most common name at the time. Magdalene probably refers to the town that she was from. But, but from here, we can, I think, deduce a couple of clues about Mary Magdalene and certainly one key thing about her. But before I get to the two clues and the one key attribute of Mary that we can for sure know, I think there's a couple of speculations that people have about Mary Magdalene that I think are important to kind of unpack. Number one, some people think that Mary Magdalene is the woman that's mentioned in Luke chapter 7. Right before this, there's this woman approaches, who, who approaches Jesus, and many think that that's Mary Magdalene. I don't think it is. I, I think that uh, Luke chapter 8 is meant to be kind of like this introduction to Mary. So I don't think the woman in Luke chapter 7 is Mary Magdalene. The second thing that people wonder about about Mary Magdalene was, was she a prostitute? Now, obviously, if you know the scriptures, there's a number of prostitutes mentioned, uh, that, and many of them have seen. You think of Rahab in the Old Testament. Uh, but, but I don't think Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. That, that's never explicitly uh, said in the New Testament. That's total speculation uh, if you think that she was. She could have been, but we don't know. However, there are a couple of things that I think this passage gives us kind of clues into Mary's life. And the first one being is, is that this, I think, explains Mary Magdalene as both single and not having any children. I think what we're supposed to take away from this is that Mary was a woman who was single. She didn't have a husband. And, and there's no mention ever of not only a husband, but there's never a mention of children. I, I think that's the picture that Luke chapter 8 is painting of Mary, is that she was not married, she was single, and that she didn't have any children. Now, hear me, friends. The Bible clearly affirms marriage, and the Bible clearly affirms motherhood. All throughout the Scriptures, and even as you look at the Scriptures uh, 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 systematically and theologically, the Bible esteems marriage, and the Bible esteems motherhood. And ladies, if you're married, we think that that's a good thing. Ladies, if you have children, we also think that that is a very good thing. If you're a mother, we think it's good. If you're a wife, we think it's good. However, ladies, if you're not married, the Bible is also filled with wonderful examples of single women who Jesus brought into their presence, who were very, very faithful and lived very fulfilled lives. So the Bible doesn't think that that is bad. The Bible doesn't think singleness is bad. So you, you don't have to be married in order to be fulfilled or to be happy. You don't, have to be, uh, you don't have to have children in order to find fulfillment in this life or to feel like you're faithfully following the Lord. Now, there's so many corners of our culture that demeans a Christian view of marriage and motherhood. And ladies, maybe some of you feel that. That, that wives and mothers, I pray that our church is faithful to encourage you. We, we want to be a church that equips you as a wife and equips you as a mother. We, we want to encourage you in that. I, I pray that you know that we respect you if you are a wife and a mother. Well, one of the things that I, I pray you never hear around here is something like, well, she doesn't work. She just stays home with kids. I pray you never hear that here. And let's just be really honest. Like dealing with toddlers is way harder than dealing with clients. Amen. I know where's I don't know where Kara Rose is. She just was on a plane with the toddler, and it wasn't fun, was it? That last thirty minutes was tough. Okay, so if you're a stay-at-home mother, I pray that you know that we esteem you. Taking care of children is difficult. Taking care of children is a high calling, and it's good if you are willing to stay home with your children, and if you're able to stay home with your children. 
as our family, uh, we made sacrifices early on for my wife to stay home with our children when they were little. And we were so thankful for that. So wives and moms, I pray that you always feel loved and respected at our, at our church. Also pray that you know that, that God, the Bible, Christianity, all of that esteems motherhood, all of that esteems wives. And if you uh, are led to stay home with your children, the Bible esteems that and says that is good. However, there's also many corners of the church that demean women who are single and don't have children. Now, I, ladies, if you're single or if you don't have children, I, I don't think that that's intentional. I think really where that comes from, and, and if you catch any of that here, where I'm assuming that comes from is, is we really care about the next generation. Like most churches are like us, they invest as much as they can, as much money and resources and time into discipling the next generation. So we really care about Redeemer kids. We really care about the student ministry. We really care about this new young adult and college ministry. And we just invest as much as we can in that. But I think sometimes when a, when a church has commitments like that, that there can be these subtle things that are caught that, that if you are not married or if you don't have children, that you're somehow not as faithful or you're somehow not as valued in a church. And I pray that that's never the case here. You see, some churches can subtly communicate that somehow single motherless women or somehow maybe like, like less of a woman are, are not as faithful or, are, or they're not going to be able to find fulfillment in the Lord as others can. Ladies, I pray that you never feel that in our church. I pray that you never catch that, even if it's subtle. I pray that you know that you are loved here, that you're respected here. I pray that you know that there's a place for you to serve here, like, like you make our church better. I pray that you know this is a church where we want you to grow, that this is a church where you can grow, and we want you here. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but there is a long list of single ladies in our church that are adding so much to this church, that are leading teams, that are just having a faithful impact in our church. And they, in short, they just make Redeemer Church better. Amen. And so if you're a single lady, I pray that you hear that from us. Jesus, the Bible, Christianity, our church, we all esteem single women and women who have no children. That's the first clue I think we draw from Mary. The second thing is, is that um, Mary was possibly a woman of means. She, she's lumped in here with these two other ladies, Joanna and Susanna. And it alludes to at the end of that section of verse 3 that these ladies were ladies of means and then they helped support Jesus' ministry. Now, I have a maybe side interpretation. Is I, it somehow doesn't seem consistent that Mary would be a demon-possessed but also be a woman of means, but, but maybe she was. But even if she was or wasn't, the two other ladies, Joanna and Susanna, they were, woman, they were women of means. They had their own money. Now, how they got that, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, explain that. But Luke 8 uh, is a good place, I think, to stop and to speak into God's view of women working outside the home. Ladies, are you all familiar with Proverbs 31? The, the, the book of Proverbs ends with this wonderful chapter, Proverbs 31. And it, it's this beautiful proverb. And, and really, the way it's written is, is it's written by a queen of Israel to her son, who eventually will be the king of Israel. And it's kind of her advice on the type of woman that he hopes that she marries. So it's kind of like this idealized vision of what an ideal woman should look like. The type of woman I want you to marry and the type of woman that we want to be uh, the, the queen of Israel. Of course, in you know, Christian subculture, we, we talk about a P31 woman, a Proverbs 31 woman. And there's these fascinating, beautiful attributes of this woman. But one of them is, one of these attributes is, is that this woman works. Like she's diligent, okay? 
And what's really interesting about the P31 woman, she works inside the home and she works outside the home. In fact, this lady, this lady like turns a profit, okay? Like this lady doesn't have a job. This lady has businesses in the plural. She's essentially flipping land is what she's doing. And she also has this business where she's making clothes and then selling them to merchants. So she serves her family inside the home, and then she also uh, serves her family outside the home. Ladies, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're working diligently to care for your children, then know that I think you are faithfully doing God's will. In Proverbs 31, it teaches us that this idealized woman, she rises early and she takes care of her family. And ladies, if that's you, I pray that, this, that you know that this church, God's word, esteems you in what you're doing. And also, ladies, if you're diligently working outside the home in order to care for your family, then I also want you to know that I think you are also being faithful to God's will. Again, Proverbs 31 is this example of this idealized woman who starts a business. She turns a profit in order to take care of her family. Listen, I can't speak to every situation. This is, you know, this is between you and the Lord and, and your family and, and the Lord. But, but I know that sometimes the Lord uh, leads uh, ladies to, to stay at home and to care for their children. And I think that that's good. And then there's maybe seasons or other families that aren't able to do that, or he leads uh, uh, other ladies to, to work outside the home in order to care for their family. And I pray that you understand that I think both are esteemed in the Scriptures. Both can be faithful. Both are good and right. And both are esteemed in Proverbs 31. So in summary, I think we have a couple of clues about Mary here. I think that she is, I think she's probably not the, the woman mentioned in, in uh, Luke 7. I think she's probably not a prostitute. But I'm really confident that she was single. I'm really confident that she didn't have children. And she maybe had means. She, she might have had her own money that she was uh, earning on her own that she used to advance Jesus' ministry. But there's one clear thing that we learn about Mary in this passage, right? Like when you look at eight, uh, Luke 8, 1 to 3, and this is also explained in Mark chapter 16, we read that Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. My friends, she wasn't demon-possessed by a demon. Seven demons possessed this woman. Now, we don't fully know all of what this means, but what we do know is she was indwelt in some way by a demonic force that in, in some way and at certain points controlled or dominated her will. That, that's what it means to be demon-possessed, that her will was dominated by demons. Now, on a major side note, we can talk for a long time on this, but I don't believe that Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit can be demon-possessed. I think the Holy Spirit, clearly in the New Testament, is more powerful than a demon. So I don't think both of those things are going on at the same time. So what I think that means in Mary's life is, is that she was not a believer, she was possessed by demons, and when Jesus showed up and he told those demons to flee, they fled, she was converted, and she faithfully followed him the rest of her life. I also think this is an important uh, moment to maybe um, talk about two poles here. I think some Christians just totally discount the spiritual realm and the demonic realm that's always around us. I, I think that's a major mistake. I think we need to be sensitive that there's always this spiritual thing going on. And we can be uh, tempted, we can be all these different things by demonic forces outside of us. And I, and I pray, we need to, I, I, I think we need to pray against those things. I also think there's a, another extreme where people are constantly saying, well, the devil made me do it. And they're kind of dodging their own responsibility and their own sin. I think that that's something else that we need, an extreme we need to avoid. I, I think demon possession clearly is real, it clearly happens. Uh, but if demon possession is the domination of someone's will, 
if that's what it means to be demon-possessed, then I think that there's a parallel or a similarity to someone who is addicted to drugs. Like, do you have friends who are addicted to drugs? Maybe a family member? Many of the, most of the people who are homeless in our society, there's either a mental illness going on there uh, or there's uh, some form of drug addiction. Many of them just choose that life. But that's what's going on with most people who are homeless today. And, and I think as you think back to that, uh, to that woman I um, uh, opened with, Maxine, as I watched that interview of her, I wondered what Mary Magdalene looked like and I wondered what Mary Magdalene sounded like. Because I, I was watching Maxine on that screen, I, I thought, I, I bet that's a lot of what Mary Magdalene looked like. You see, we might have these idealized versions of Mary Magdalene of some medieval painting of her. I, I don't think that's at all what she looked like. Like, I think she looked like this, this woman, Maxine. Like, like Ma- Maxine just had track marks on her arms. They were going to be there the rest of her life. Like, as we read stories of demon possession in the New Testament... Many, many times those, uh, those demons would possess someone and, and, and cause people to throw themselves onto rocks and they would cut their, their arms or faces would be cut up and they would have these scars the rest of their life. I, I bet Mary had scars like that. Maybe she had scratches all over her arm. Maybe they were on her face. Like she might have had patches of hair missing of her pulling her hair out. Like, like that woman, Maxine, you know the reason why she didn't have her front teeth? It, it was directly related to her drug addiction. Like if she wasn't living down in Skid Row, she wouldn't have been around a guy who was also unstable and then punched her in the face. Like, like if you think about Mary Magdalene, she might have been missing teeth as a result of a demonic episode. Like she probably had the scars of her, de- of her demon possession. You see, one thing that I can be very confident about regarding Mary Magdalene is, is that people did not want to be in Mary's presence. I promise you people did not want to be around her. Like, like think about how people treat homeless people today or preach someone who is addicted to drugs. Like they're an unstable person. They're scary, right? Like, like I bet when women saw uh, Mary and they saw the scars on her face, I, I bet they just kind of turned the other way and, and went away from her. But like, can you imagine a young mother walking her children down the street and then you see Mary Magdalene coming? You, you know what they did? I promise you they went to the other side of the street, right? I promise you men were mean to Mary Magdalene. And that was maybe a combination of they were maybe scared of her. She was unstable. Maybe they had seen her do very evil things. But I promise you, people avoided Mary Magdalene, but not Jesus. Amen? Amen. But not Jesus. That's the good news of this passage. This marginalized, broken, hurting, tormented woman that everyone else avoided. We read this little phrase in Luke 8.1, that she was with him. Isn't that good news? But not Jesus. Everyone else avoided her except for Jesus. Everyone else did not want her in their presence, but Jesus called her into his presence. And and I think there's three specific things that are going on here. Number one is that Jesus called women into his presence. We know Mary was a woman. And, and as you look at other rabbis, like, like think John the Baptist, he, he didn't have women in his presence, but not Jesus. Jesus called women into his presence. Women didn't have the opportunity to learn like the men did in that culture. That wasn't the case with Jesus. He taught women. He, he, he brought them into his presence. They were his followers. They were his disciples. She was with him, is what it says in Luke chapter 8, that she was with him. She was in his presence. And more specifically, as you think about Mary, 
She wasn't just a woman. She was a very broken woman who he brought into his presence. Like, like he didn't just bring the women who had it all together. Like he brought in the broken women into his presence. Ladies, if you have a history of being rejected, then please know that Jesus is calling you to come to me, Matthew 11. He's calling you to come to me. If all the other, uh, the, every, every other man in your life pushes you away, that's not Jesus. Jesus is calling you into his presence. Maybe that ex-husband doesn't want anything to do with you. However, the king of kings wants everything to do with you. Are you with me? Sister, no matter the painful brokenness you've experienced in this life, Mary Magdalene teaches us that Jesus wants you in his presence. He's calling you into his presence. When you see and you feel your brokenness, hear Jesus calling you, come to me. But I want to take this one step further. Mary Magdalene was not just a woman. She wasn't just a broken woman. I think you can put Mary in this category that she was a tormented woman. Okay? Jesus doesn't just want women in his presence. He doesn't just want those women that maybe have the kind of the polite sins that maybe, oh, she's just a mess or we laugh about something. No, Mary, there, there was a depth to her struggles, right? This woman was demon-possessed and he brought her into his presence. You see, if you're struggling with something, whatever brokenness that is, hear Jesus calling you, come to me. But also know that, that if you have like these deep, tormenting struggles, if you're like Maxine, where, where you don't have teeth anymore because of the, tor- the, the struggles that you've gone through, know that Jesus is more powerful than any tormentor that is out there. Do you hear me? Jesus is stronger than that. That's why he's able to call you into his presence. It's because he is more powerful than anything that torments you. You see, when your tormentor rears its ugly head again, You can go to the Lord. You can cry out to him because he is more powerful than anything that is tormenting you. He wants to help you and he's more powerful than it. So you can pray to him and you can can ask him to command this tormentor to flee. This is what he does over and over and over again with demon possession in the New Testament. Pray that his power will lead you into his presence. Ladies, I know that the world can use you up and spit you out. But like Mary Magdalene, Jesus wants you with him. He he wants to bring you into his presence. He's calling you to come to me. But that's not the end of the story of Mary. I also want you to know that Mary Magdalene remained in Jesus' presence. Not only do we have this first scene of Mary Magdalene just appearing, but she appears uh, three more key times, especially as it relates to Jesus. She is in his presence at his death, at his burial, and then at his resurrection. Jesus is, or Mary is in um, Jesus' presence at his death, and that's recorded in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and then John 19. Let, let me read Matthew 27, verses 55 to 56. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Here, this scene is at his death so horrific, so heartbreaking, and Mary is present there. This demonstrates that she was a genuine follower of Christ. She was a true disciple. She is right there. And in fact, when most of the men fleed out of fear, Mary was right there. You see, he had loved her at her lowest point, and he had preserved her in his presence, and she wasn't going anywhere. Her place was right there with him in his presence. Even when it was scary, even when it was hard, she had something better than the hardships of life. 
She was able to be in Jesus' presence. And no matter how hard it got, no matter how scary it got, her place was right there with him. She's also right there at his burial. This is mentioned in Matthew 27 and Matthew 15. In Matthew 27, let me start reading it at verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone at the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting at opposite of the tomb. I've been studying this passage a lot over the past number of weeks, but this week, that picture of her just sitting at that tomb, what an amazing picture. She was in his presence, even in his death. She had this this loyalty of just sitting right there. Have you ever seen those pictures of a, of a, of a bomb-sniffing dog? And maybe when that dog's soldier had, has died, what does that dog do? He just sits. She just sits right there by the grave, right, right there by the casket. That's what Mary's doing. She's just, she's just staying there in her loyal love to him. Certainly, she was filled with grief, and there was just a sense that she just wanted to be right there with him. I'm confident there was this flicker of hope and she's remembering these things that he said that maybe he's going to rise again. And so there's this flicker of hope that maybe this isn't the end. But Jesus had shown her such loyal love that she couldn't be anywhere else. You see, his love, his loyal love changes everything, doesn't it? To where our happy place, the place we have to be at, is just in his presence. Jesus, our Mary was so transformed by Jesus' love that she just had to be with him that she's right there at the resurrection. In fact, Jesus speaks to her first. He speaks to her, uh, or Mary's there at the resurrection, and that's recorded in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and then in John's gospel in in, uh, chapter 20. Let let me read John 20, verses 11 to 18. And this is the first time we see, or we hear Mary uh, speaking, starting in John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, She stopped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white standing where the tomb, where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And just in saying her name, he knew her. She turned and said to him in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascended to my Father and and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Jesus met Mary at her lowest point, and he brought her up into his presence. No matter how she struggled afterwards, Jesus preserved her into his presence. He kept her there. She was transformed by that love that he had shown her. In those moments when the disciples were overwhelmed by fear and fled, 
Mary just stayed. She found something better, something more powerful than anything that was tempting her to run away. Again, Jesus met Mary at her lowest, and he brought her into his presence. In this scene of the resurrection in Matthew 28, 5, it says, He is risen. Friends, that is the climax, the high point of the Gospels, the New Testament, all the Bible, all of human history is He is risen, the highest point that there is. And here at that moment, He had taken this woman who had been at the lowest of lows, and He had brought her up into that highest of high moments. What a glorious picture, isn't it? She was in His presence at that most glorious of moments. That's what Jesus does with us. That's what Jesus does with women. That's what Jesus does with broken women and tormented women. He brings us up to the highest of highs. You see, being with Jesus uh, brought Mary so much joy that when she saw him, what did she do? She clung to him. And she clung so tightly to him, he had to say, hey, back off, let go a little bit. You know, I've got something for you. She didn't want to let him go, right? She had had this thing that being in his presence, this was who she was. This is the thing that brought her the most joy, and she was not going to let him go. Ladies, maybe you've had some man shun you, but this man won't. Maybe you've had some man abandon you, abandon you in your lowest of lows, but this man won't. Ladies, Jesus has a long history of loving women that the world overlooked and avoided. Jesus has a long history of bringing broken hurting, tormented women into his presence. This is the good news of this passage. As I've studied Mary, I think there's a theme of presence in there, that she was just with him, that she was just in his presence. This is what he called her into. But as I push into that, I think it's, a, it's an okay question to ask why. Like, why is it such good news to be in Jesus's presence? Why, why was this such a great thing? Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forever. That's the reason why, that's the reason why Jesus wanted to bring Mary into his presence, because there was nothing better. There, there was no place better. There was no joy that was more satisfying than just being with him. There was no pleasure that was going to be better than just being in Jesus' presence. Listen, I don't care how bad you have been or how low you have sunk. Jesus is calling you into his presence today. I don't know all that's going on in your life, but I'm confident that he is calling you to come to him today. He's not calling you in order to shame you. He's not calling you in order to condemn you. He's calling you because, because with him is the path of life. That's why he's calling you. He knows that there's nothing better. You see, he's calling you because this is where the fullness of joy is found. He's calling you because you can't experience pleasures like the pleasures of being with him forevermore, is what it says in Psalm 1611. That's why a former demon-possessed woman sat outside that tomb. That's why this tormented, broken woman who had been at the lowest of lows clung so tightly to him when she saw him resurrected. She had found something better, better than anything else in this world. She had been in the presence of Jesus. I don't know where you are today, but I do know that he's calling you into his presence. Ladies, he is unlike every other man. He always wants you with him. He'll never shun you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. He will never let you go. You are secure in him. Do you identify with Mary Magdalene today? I do. I do. 
Maybe my brokenness looks different than her. Maybe my struggles are different. But, but I identify with Mary Magdalene today. Do, do you connect with her in some way? Are, are there ways that you can relate maybe to her plight? Do you know her brokenness? Have you felt that alienation? Are you tormented by something this morning? If so, I believe Jesus is calling you. He's calling you into his presence today. He wants you to be with him. He's calling you to something that is good. That, that, so good that the pains of this world don't even compare it to. That's how good it is. He's calling you to something that is such joy that you're never going to want to leave his side. You're always just going to want to cling to him. He's calling you into his presence, and he's promising to never let you go. That's his call today. That's his call to people who are like Mary, who, who are struggling and who are broken. He's calling us today. Friends, when we're going to begin singing in a moment. And when we begin singing, if Jesus is calling you, I just want to invite you to the back. And we're going to have elders, and I've invited some of the elders' wives and, and some of our leaders back there. We just want to pray with you. If Jesus is calling you today, don't waste this moment. If you identify with Mary Magdalene, and I know I sure do, and you hear God calling you today, he's calling you to come to him. He's calling you up into his presence. Don't waste this moment. We just want to pray for you. Friends, Jesus keeps the tormented and the broken. And like Mary Magdalene, Jesus keeps the tormented and the broken secure in his presence forevermore. Answer his call today and come into his presence. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for just, even in many ways, maybe reading in, in between the lines of, of this woman's story. I thank you for sweet Mary Magdalene and just that, that transformative love that you showed her and how that just freed her how it called her up to the most glorious of moments and how she just wanted to be with you. Lord, I pray that you would call someone today. I pray that no one walks out of this room unless they're right with you. I pray that we would be sensitive right now to hear how you are calling us. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in here that has never been in your presence, they've never been born again, they've never trusted in you, I pray that the type of love you showed Mary, you would show them today, and that you would give them eyes to see, and that they would be born again today. Lord, call us. We know that you're calling us into your presence, and I pray that we would faithfully hear that call. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.